0: BMX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on pulpocky.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite
1: podcast app. Welcome to the Paul Pocky Podcast, appreciate you guys listening, subscribe on iTunes, get it on uh, Stitcher, and of course paulpocky.com also, and uh, the best men's underwear out there, two under, the number two UNDR, Ferraro20 is the code to save yourself money, a lot of NHL guys wear two under, and you should too, and uh, thanks, uh, thanks for, for checking out, I appreciate it. With me on the line, a guy, former general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, assistant general manager of the New York Rangers. He is now a, a multimedia guy. I hear and see him all the time. He must be the busiest uh, guy in Toronto media. Uh, he is Gord Stalek. Gord, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, how are you doing, Steve? I'm good. You, you are really busy. Pre- and post-game shows. A hockey XM show with uh, uh, Rob Simpson on XM Radio Satellite. Uh, you fill in for Hockey Central on the fa- Fan 590. Um, did I miss anything? Uh, let's see. Um, oh, I do. I, I do
0: a show on Leafs TV as well. Okay, uh, all right. Around the day game skates and stuff. But no, I, I feel I feel fortunate to be busy. I've had the alternative of being less busy, so um,
1: <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, like every time I turn, I listen a lot. I live in Vegas, and I listen a lot to Toronto radio. I'm a fan of the Leafs, and so like you're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. Um, yeah, it is. The pre and post game stuff that you're doing with the Leafs it i gotta I wonder a little bit um they're a worse team than they were last year, but the mood I imagine is better, right for some reason, the mood is better um Babcock Lamarillo, everybody else has been doing a, a good thing with a, a team that's probably not as talented as before i don't even you probably deserved uh double your pay uh, the, during the stretch end last year for these pre and post game shows.
0: Well, particularly, we you know in Toronto had the um, you know had the um, seven-game playoff run against the Boston Bruins, you mm-hmm. know, and and that whetted everybody's appetite. So that changed expectations and hope, and you name it. And so that was a tough thing. It's when you know you felt you had reached the promised land, so to speak, you mm-hmm. know, to, to be back in the playoffs on a regular basis, and uh, and and then you go backwards. So it's been um, it's been a tough thing that way as far as being a fan of the team, recovering the team. And last year it was a, you know, it, you saw it was really a dysfunctional team as far as some of the, um, you know, the attitude mm-hmm. the players took towards the fans. I mean, just a lot of things that were very unnecessary. So uh, this year, Steve, it's like with uh, first Babcock coming and then Lou Lamorello, uh, people are drinking the Kool-Aid. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or not. They just believe yep. Okay, we're going to suck one more time, but this time we're doing it right. Now I hope that is the case, but it's pretty incredible how patient they've been for so many years.
1: Yeah, really, right? I know. Um, uh, I, I mean, how, how comp- I know the, the media landscape in Toronto is pretty competitive, but um, I also listen to TSN Radio. Jeff O'Neill's over there. He does the pregame shows and the post uh, postgame shows for the 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 games that fan find out he doesn't have. Although I don't know if it's still the same this year. I haven't heard it in 2016, but um like he's basically yelling at fans last year and I don't know what's going on I don't know what's happening um and I imagine you took the same the same kind of calls and from these people and suddenly it's just it seems like everyone thinks they're on the right track a little bit what what do you think what, what what's your take on the team this year
0: Well I I um I do think they're on the right track okay mm-hmm. I do I do, you know, but you know what, Steve? When you find people, and because uh, I've been there before in the 1980s, it was yeah. always about hope, yep. about who the young player is, who is the guy who's not even in the NHL but is going to take you, you know, to that next level, and and so a lot of fans are are, are saying, yeah, it's all good, and once uh, once Nylander and Marner come, well you know Mitch Varner's playing junior hockey playing very well mm-hmm. William Dean playing in the American Hockey League playing very well unfortunately has a concussion yeah. he sustained playing for team Sweden in the uh, uh, in in the World Juniors right. so that's all good but right. those guys aren't even here yet <laughs> and then once they get here you need 18 other guys sure. so it's not that simple so yeah. I, I just look at it and i and i've been pleased that Mike Babcock seems to have got more out of guys in the present. Because, you know, you've, you've got to worry about the present as well. You can't just write this, you know. I've never heard of an attitude more about, hey, we don't want to be too good because we want to get that great first-round pick, first overall pick, mm-hmm. which, as the Buffalo Sabres will tell you, it does, <laughs> coming dead last doesn't it guarantee doesn't. you the first overall pick. Exactly, And it, it, it's just kind of kind of strange this year that they are so accepting of a losing team because they believe it's being done right. And <laughs> finally, and to me, I said, you know, you got, you, got to, you got to have a little more expectation about the present. There's got to be more expectation on players that were signed to big contracts because they could score goals and because of the play they had around 2012. This, this is not a salary structure of a rebuilding team. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a salary structure of a team that thought they had uh, arrived to a degree, yep. and now has to scramble and do a rebuild on the run. Not like the Buffalo Sabres say.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was some bad contract sign, and there was some risk taken by Nonis and and Burke and those guys. No doubt. Um, that's funny. You're you're out of the Toronto media guys. I listened to. It's a little more pessimistic view, but I guess in a way, um, Gord, you've been there. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I've
0: been there. I've, I'm fortunate to have been there. And I know that, uh, I'll use an example like that. I know it's a long time ago, but in, in, in the 80s, when in 1986 and 87, um, rather dismal regular seasons, because the team had one playoff round victory, mm-hmm. you milked it all summer. People were so excited, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that's all I'm saying. I, I, hey, trust me, I hope it's going in the right direction, right. and uh, I, I like the way it's going. I like a lot of things about it, but it's, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot more things than simply Mitch Marner and William Nylander. This is a team that's... Um, Doesn't have one second round pick on their team. They've drafted, you know, traded away a lot of first round picks and other things before, Mm -hmm. and that's not on. That's not on the guys that are there now. Yeah, but it's the same ownership group, and I find that in a lot of cases it goes back to ownership. You know, wherever, sure, whether you're successful like the New England Patriots, turn it around like the Chicago Blackhawks did. You know, there's an element there, a culture there that just hasn't been successful. Mm -hmm. They're slicker. And uh, then Harold Bowder was, but you know, it's uh, to bring up conjure up a name of the past, yeah. but
1: they really, they really have been no more successful. Right. Yeah. You got a point there. Um, how's it changed for you as a media guy covering the team with Lou there? Uh, we make jokes about like Rez Robodaugh, you know, and then what's yeah, <laughs> but you know, these things and, and obviously, and uh, you know, the, there was that thing with uh, Jim Ralph and Joe Bowen and they weren't allowed on the charter. Now, I guess they are and all that, but. How's everything around the team access things like that with, with Lou now in charge?
0: Well, very different. It changed with Brendan Shanahan in charge already. I don't know okay. Brendan seemed to work yep. to learn well from Lou that way. Uh, it was, you know, after, after Brian Burke, who was pretty uh, open, pretty accessible, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was his style. Uh, you know, years ago was Cliff Fletcher. It's also been a change, just let's face the way everyone, uh, everyone operates nowadays anyway. It's just a whole different thing. It's, it's, it's too bad. I mean, selfishly, I like the, uh, more intimate times of, uh, you know, before, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can't live in the past that way. It's become big. There's a proliferation of 24-7 media. Which I'm a part of, yep. and is part of the problem, and you're a part of, and <laughs> it's just you know very different than a couple of beat yep. guys and a couple of TV guys on a daily basis. So, so in uh, Lou Lamoriello's case, you, you never see him. Um, I mean, his presence is there, okay. But as far as being around the media, that's not that's not his deal. He limits his appearances. Um, he limits uh, the uh, players' appearances. Uh, Joe and Jim aren't back on the charter. They make their own way. Oh, to I thought they the were. Game. I'm sorry. Okay. No, at, no, at fir- yep. no. At first, they were going to do the games off the TV set back, which was which was ridiculous. <laughs> and anyway, that's right. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Yes, so, yes. I mean, those are Lou's rules, so it's different. I like him personally. I've. Uh, you know, hung with him a couple of times. Sure. are supposed to grab a coffee with him sometime in the near future, too, which I look forward to because, uh, you know, he was a general manager when I was. And, right, right. But, but it's different. But all I care about, all I care about, and I think most fans should, is what happens ultimately on the ice. And, right. Uh, Lou has a great track record, what he did in New Jersey. It wasn't the best of times his last few years in New Jersey, and
1: I, I think he's looking forward and hoping to go out on a better note than those last few years. Yeah, we saw Dave Poulin, Claude Loisel, Burke, um, everybody doing interviews. And this year, it is just a cone of silence. Robododd is just gone. He, could, Who knows where, where yeah. he is? No, exactly. Yeah. He's just gone. And even, like, you know, Kyle Dubas yeah. was the uh,
0: hot young hiring. There was never more notoriety for an assistant general right. manager. Right. And uh, now, Lou claims that I I don't disbelieve him. But, I mean, he didn't hire any of these guys that are his guys now. And, you know, in New Jersey, every guy was well, a Lou hire guy. and a Lou sure. guy. But Lou professes that he, he's thrilled with Brendan Shanahan's hires, that he's loved working with the guys. But he also puts them under, uh, you know, tighter, mm-hmm. uh, tighter ropes as far as so what and if they can talk to the media.
1: Yeah, and uh, Babcock is, seems to be the voice. He seems to be the uh, prevailing voice, even assistant coaches and all that. It's just, it's much oh, yeah, yeah, and Babcock's yeah. loving it. Like, he, he, hey, don't get me wrong. He, he gets it, okay? Does he? He loved yeah, winning yeah.
0: gold medals for Team Canada, he loved being sought after as the hot coach. And, uh, so now when he comes out and talks, it's not just a post-game press conference. It's like, wow, it's Mike Babcock, and he's coaching the Toronto Maple Leafs, and there's a thousand media, and he, you know, he's done a great job running these press conferences, Mm -hmm. or the, or briefings, or whatever, the Babcock way. And, uh, so all of a sudden he says something about, you know, bigger nets and that, which has been discussed many times before, Uh but because he brings it up, all of a sudden it becomes a hot topic again for about 10 days, and that's just, the nature of this first year, it is the Babcock show, and yeah. people are loving it, and um, you know, good on it. He's, uh, it's a positive move, but ultimately mm-hmm. down the road, hopefully the same kind
1: of success happens. I always wonder about your role a little bit on TV and on the radio. You're the host now, and you've been that way for a number of years, but you grew up with the Leafs. You became a general manager. You went to the Rangers, um, assistant general manager there. Somewhere along the line, Gord, you become a host when you could be, you could be the Doug McLean. Maybe not as you know, m- not as much talk about condo rentals, but you could be that guy. Somewhere along the line, you became a host. Was that a conscious decision by you, or how did that work out? You know, it's funny because when I um, when I
0: got fired by the New York Rangers and came back, I ended up I was the color commentator. On the Leaf radio broadcast mm-hmm. for four years, and okay. I love doing that. I did it with Joe Bowen, and yep. uh, I, I was fortunate to cover that great run in '93, the great runs in playoff runs in '93 and '94. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, when the uh, the fan the fan had launched as a, an all-sports station, and uh, they lost the Maple Leaf rights, and uh, it ended up being a far better move for me to stay with the fan, and uh, by being a host. Kind of like what Randy Moeller did in Florida, Play by Play Guy, sure. is what, what I found is you got to try to offer a point of difference. And one of my point of differences was being an ex general manager, which was mm-hmm. novel and made me a little different than other guys, and then being able to host on you know, all talk, uh, all talk, all sports talk radio, which churns out hours and hours and hours gave me, uh, you know, 17 years hosting a show there. So mm-hmm. I've, um, I wouldn't say I was the smoothest host starting on, but uh, starting off, but, uh, it certainly is. I guess I hate to say added value. I don't added value to my brand, which is what I hate saying. But you're <laughs> you're, right. But you're right. In some ways you like to you yeah. you, you like to sit back like Doug McLean or Jeff O'Neill and just uh and just uh tee up that way, but no,
1: it's it's different and yeah. uh, it's certainly a role I've embraced. Because it's not something you don't know or don't understand. Do you know what I mean? You're not um uh, somebody who doesn't you could offer those opinions and you can you have connections in the game, you've been in it your whole life. So it's just odd for me. That's all. Uh, as a guy, like I'm, like, huh, all right. So, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Um, just a different role. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, when you meet people in Toronto, uh, it's been a while since you were GM. They still ask you about John Cordick trade, or how does that go? <laughs> you know, it's funny all the time, and it's. Uh, oh, you know, I was uh, joking. You're serious though.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> all the time, all the time. It's, uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, it, uh, I mean, part of it uh, un- unfortunate, that John K- Cortx passed away, mm-hmm. takes the humor out of it, yeah, that part, but it became you know what I was known by, and uh, um, i wouldn 't say that 's exactly fair, but that 's okay yeah and uh, it 's funny, it just showed the popularity of Russ Courtnell, it showed the good guy versus the bad guy in the deal, it shows Toronto versus Montreal and a lot of things, and uh, so all these years later, I mean, people general, generally say it in a, in a, in a nice way, yep. you know, just kind of thing, but it just shows I've been around for a long time. I mean, even, even though uh, there's been way worse moves made of course, along yeah. the way, but uh, that just kind of went with, the, went with the territory, and it means I've been in the business about 30 years. So they'll, they'll still talk about it. And what I'll find quite often is parents will tell their kid, like the kids will know me out from the broadcast side. Right, sure. And then the parents will say that, yeah, he used to run the May Police, and the kids might have a hard time believing
1: it or <laughs> not, certainly not know that. And, right. and that's all cool. That's fine. Um, yeah. Well, it, why don't you? You should whip out, and I've read your book, uh, you should whip out Ken Reggett for two first rounders. Yeah, well, no, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, that was a great trade.
0: Well, and, and the other part is, again, to go back to that era, I didn't throw my coach under the bus. It was a coach in John Brophy, who yep. I think very highly of, who wouldn't have been my choice. Don't get me wrong, but I understood, uh, you know, like working for Harold Ballard, that it was just the way it went. So... Uh, and having, you know, Eddie Olchuk, who I know you just talked to, and, yeah. and uh, Gary Lehman and Vinnie Domfus and Daniel Merwa, and a, a team like that, it, it wasn't a team with any kind of toughness, and we had a coach that valued toughness, and it was an era where toughness mattered. Yep. And, uh, at the time, Russ Courtnell was sitting out, you know, and I love Russ as a guy. I and mean, I got along great with Russ. Yeah. And it, it just is, uh, so it, uh, and John Cordick, John Cordick, who uh, of 1986, who, helped the Montreal, who was an asset for the Montreal Canadiens when they won that Stanley Cup wasn't the same guy a couple of years later. And, you mm. know, scouting and other things like that weren't like right, they right. are nowadays. And as we find out, there was a lot unfortunate that had gone on, a lot of mileage in his personal life, you know, between those two times. Sure. So.
1: Yeah. And again, reggae for two first rounders. That's strong. Um, well, you know, yeah, little yeah. things like Brad Marsh in the waiver draft yeah, and, uh, marsh, yeah. And Rob Ramage for a second
0: round pick and Lou Francesetti for a fifth round pick and he scored whatever twenty one goals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it it I, I had been there for uh, working as an assistant to um well, I worked with Jimmy Gregory, but then later Punchy him like his second go round and Jerry McNamara and that. So I, I was uh you know, I, I was sort of well versed in how the game worked. Mm-hmm. So I I really had over all in all about fourteen years working with the Leafs starting as a part-time kid in high school my my time as general manager was about a year and a half but yeah. I, I just really embraced and feel fortunate for the whole the whole time I was there
1: yeah let's get into that a little bit I want to talk to you about that because again I'm a Leaf fan born and raised in Winnipeg but always loved the Leafs for some reason I think it started with Sittler or something back in the day um and uh and so I've, I've followed you career and I follow the Leafs strong but so you're born and raised in Toronto how do you get the job with Toronto Maple Leafs to start? How old are you? What do you do? What's your job? Well, the, uh, it's funny. The way it works is I go to a school
0: named George Vanier, George okay. Vanier Secondary School. It's a high school. Mm-hmm. My, uh, one of my best friends is a guy named Ken McMurtry. His neighbor and their best friends is a guy named Stan Obodiak, who is the publicity director for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So that ends up being my fortunate in. So just, you know, Ken gets a job working part-time on game nights there when we are in high school, and I'm I'm immensely envious of it. And uh, then a year later, there's one other opening, and Stan Abodiak asks him if he has a friend. So Uh that's my break. So I get to just work game nights with Ken, you know, doing Leaf games and, and what have you. And uh, then I leave high school. I go to University of Toronto. I'm taking actually commerce. Mm-hmm. And a guy named Howie Starkman leaves the Toronto Maple Leafs to become the first ever public relations director for the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay. So he leaves mid-season, and um, it sounds weird, but I got to know know you know Jim Gregory or a few of them just casually working in the front office. He was the general manager back then. Right. So. They had a very small office, to say the least, under Harold Ballard. So <laughs> it sounds dumb, but I could, back when guys didn't type, I could type 70 words a minute. Sounds okay. dumb. I was in, you know, yeah, yeah. a handy portable skill in and that. And, uh, sure. So, middle of the season, when Howie left, leaves about a week later, Jim Gregory just shows me the press notes and statistics that are given out to the media, and he's got them from every other team in the NHL. That time, there's 18 teams. The mm-hmm. WHA merger hasn't happened yet. And he just said, you know, I heard you could do this. And the big thing is, you can't bug the secretaries. they got too much work to do. Could you do this each game and, you know, get it all done and do it well? And so I said, sure, that'd be great. And um, I was going to university, so I'd come at odd hours there to get it done the night before. And Harold Bowder lived in the building. yeah. So I I, I can remember one night, there was some kind of rock concert going on. The Leafs were playing the next day, and I was just sitting in the small office up there getting stuff ready for the next day to, to um, you know, get my notes and statistics together. And then I used to type them out in a Gestetner and, you know, the whole thing. And okay. uh, Ballard came out and all he had was his boxer shorts on, nothing else. And he's in his 80s and he's a big man back then. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, he's, uh, yeah, yeah. he's going he's gonna to be pissed that I'm here. I don't know. And then so I kind of not realize I'm there sitting at the desk. And so I kind of clear my throat. To let him know, and then he, it couldn't be nicer. He sits down and wow. starts chatting, and the whole thing. So more and more, I got to know him, uh-huh. and it, it was these kind of little chats that one day just said to me about, you know, would you like to work here full time? And um, so it's funny that's the way it started. And the office was so small that I was like Punch Imlac's assistant. I would type out the contracts and everything. I did did everything. Really did the travel, did the, you know? And also, when the secretary went out for lunch, I, I had to watch the phones. So there was the the height of being a, a, quote, big shot, which nobody really was in the Ballad era. Uh-huh. And then yeah, yeah. you'd have to watch, then, then you got brought down to earth because you had to watch the phones for an hour when <laughs> nobody else was there. So that's how it all started. Then it, 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 it just grew from there more and more and more as the years went on. That would have been about 1979. So over the okay. you know, number, number of years, I got involved more on the hockey side and in, got involved briefly with the AHL team
1: and then the Leaf team. So yeah, you're in your early 20s, probably, right? And uh, I was 22, 22 yeah, 22 years total. old. And so you were you a big Leaf fan, or were you a guy just? Oh, hockey? huge. Okay, so huge. Yeah, so this must have been. I mean, I can imagine. You're now. There's Harold Ballard. Here's Daryl Sitler. There, there they are fighting. Um, there's Roger Nielsen. Oh now. yeah, I no, say, I remember once sitting there, Roger Nielsen. All these guys, and I'm looking, I'm reading the paper,
0: and all <laughs> the guys that are around me are in the newspaper, right? I'm reading, you know, and. Um, so my dad is a my dad's a TV repairman had his own has a, had his own TV repair business uh-huh. and is not a hockey fan at all. People would say, "Geez, how did your dad know Harold Ballard?" I go, "My dad doesn't know him. My dad <laughs> didn't come to any games." I get along great with my dad. <laughs> right, right, right. It was just one of those kind of things. So I always say, you know, my, I got a fortunate indirect break, and then and then I encourage people nowadays is have something and that's why when we talked about the hosting a little bit earlier mm-hmm. have something that's a point of difference and in my case back then i could type Typing. 70 words a minute <laughs> right. in a you know still a male chauvinist dominated environment sure. so yeah. and it wasn't like i typed 70 words to get a job in hockey i had no idea that's how things would work out but that ended up being making me the guy to do press notes and statistics versus uh, a number of other guys including my friend ken who just you know could, yeah. could do it, but couldn't yeah, yeah, do
1: the yeah. typing part and producing it, you know? So what, this is Punch's second return, right? At this point, he won the Cup 67 or whatever, then he comes back, and... Yeah, well, Jim Gre- Jim Gregory's the guy that, that got me hired, and then okay. he's gone, so now I'm thinking, okay. Punch, then all of a sudden Jim gets fired,
0: uh-huh. and Punch all comes summer in. long, you know, I'm out of touch with anybody. I, I just think, I'm going to come back the first day Uh uh-huh. and see what gives, like when there's a game. At this point, I'm working part-time, Yeah, yeah. and uh, I just show up the first time, and Punch Imlax there, and he kind of—he's calling Floyd, Floyd, and he's looking for Floyd Smith. Smith and he sees yeah. it me, and he sees it's me, and he kind of turns around and walks away. I go, oh crap! <laughs> it ain't going to work well. But then a guy named John McClellan came in, who happened to be the assistant GM. Then mm-hmm. it couldn't—wonderful, wonderful guy. And yeah. he just said, "Have you met Punch yet?" And I said, "No," and he took me back to meet Punch. And um, then I was all good with him, even though Punch had a pretty rocky. Relationship with media and a lot of people a second go round, mm-hmm. and of all things, John McClellan died six weeks later um, oh. at the at the age of fifty one. He dropped dead suddenly, and uh, so I, I mean, I hate to say it, but that probably was a bit of a void as well. So I mean, I think in Harold Ballard's world, one person goes and you can hire someone else. I wasn't even thinking that. So so anyway, I just I from Jim being my guy, I it worked out that uh, punch who. You know, it wasn't his best work. His second, his brief second time around with the yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs, but he he was he was really good to me, and I learned a lot of things okay. off him.
1: Interesting. And I wished had yeah.
0: been more successful for him
1: the second time around. Interesting that you say, like when I just read Leafs history about punch the second time around, fought with everybody. Um, you know, there was the the Ballard and him were, were kind of you know the Leafs were kind of team that beat the Islanders and everything was going well and. He's looked upon as, you know, trading away Lanny, trading away Daryl, looked upon as this guy that really set the team back. But, you know, for you, working in an office, he was a nice guy. Yeah, he was. He yeah, was. But there's yeah. no question, like, those
0: trades did set the team back. And, you know, he, he was really beloved in Buffalo. He, he did a great job with the Buffalo Sabres. But you looked at I realized that Harold Ballard, like Jim Gregory was Stafford mice hire. Okay. Like, you know, the, all the, so Harold wanted to put his own imprint on the team. In a lot of ways, King Clancy – remained friends with Punch Imlach, and Punch would, you know, you know the old thing about people badmouth people through somebody else an Mm -hmm. intermediary, and, you know, Punch would just spread things like it was a country club atmosphere and blah, 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 and uh, so eventually Harold felt, you know, this is what they needed, and then as soon as he put Punch back, he kind of realized, I don't want Punch, Punch thinks he runs the thing, I run the thing, so, (laughs) you know, it just was interesting life lessons for me, just put it that way.
1: Did Harold ever say, hey, Gord, we're going to need you with a paper bag behind the bench? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Didn't quite come to that, but I was there. It was so funny.
0: I'm sitting there when uh, when Roger Nielsen went back to talk Harold out of it. Okay. And uh, Harold was serious about him coming with the plate paper bag. So and, uh you're and there. Tell- you're there. Yeah, yeah. He came out in his bathrobe, and he told Jim Gregory, you know, he better and do this, blah, 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 blah. And so then Jim said, Roger, you you got to talk to him, because, uh, I mean, otherwise he wants you to do this. And then Roger went back in the office, and then he came back out,
1: and he goes, well, I ducked that one, you know? God. And, uh, oh, yeah, so I, I, was, uh, I was right there. Gord, you're like, a, and then King Clancy and Punch Emok, you're, you know, like a, a fly on the wall for these incredible, legendary hockey people, and we'll get to, you know, and then you become general manager, of course, and we'll get to that, but, geez, yeah, that's pretty, you had to be looking around going, wow, because, you, again, you're a fan. No, absolutely, absolutely.
0: And then when I'm traveling with the team, like handling all the travel and that, and just you know, and, mm-hmm. and he almost traveled in um, with with notoriety in the United States. Like nobody knew who the team was and things like that. It was very, yeah. It was very different times. But I was very real, real fortunate guy. You're right about that. I was a diehard Toronto Maple Leaf fan. I would, uh, I would kill to go the few Maple Leaf games. and yeah. Somehow we got tickets, I mean, yeah, I had I died and gone to heaven.
1: Yeah, I bet that'd be crazy. So. You're there. You're working. Things are, are up and down, not going so well. Um, and then I guess Mike Nicollet comes in, right? Do I have it, my my facts right? I think at some point uh, Nicollet comes. in. Am I pronouncing that right? I don't know. Yeah, Mike Nicolet Yeah, Mike, Mike in And uh, yeah, he comes you know, in and, and drafts, you know, Wendell. And in oh, sorry. What, what, no, Mike Dickler came in as coach. Jerry McNamara
0: came in oh, as okay. the general manager. Okay. So I, I I was an assistant to Jerry McNamara, and uh, I, I really and I enjoyed working with Mike as the coach. He was coach about three mm-hmm. and a half years, and Jerry was general
1: manager about six and a half years. He was the chief scout before. So at some point, they come to you and you get a promotion to assistant general manager. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: Jerry, Jerry really needed me. Like, okay. He really needed me because he'd been a scout, and then Harold Ballard just decided you're going to be the GM, to mm-hmm. Jerry, and and so. Um, you know Jerry needed help as far as doing all the administrative things and okay. all that. So, so again, you know, through Punch getting fired, my mm-hmm. uh, uh, my value increased that way. And uh, and Jerry and I had a good um, we had a good connection for um, a number of years. I mean, uh, all in all, unsuccessful in the standings by and large, mm-hmm. but successful in procuring. Uh, some pretty good young players, Sure. Um, yeah. not seeing it all realized in that kind of success. But yeah, we had a pretty we had a we had a pretty good run as far as uh, a, as far as working together.
1: As an assistant GM, did you have any uh, hands in any uh, draft picks that maybe you pushed for, or trades that you really pushed for um, that maybe people don't realize? Were there things that you were like, "Hey, I think we should do this. I think we should do that." That again, people don't realize. Was there some things that you you believe strongly in? I um. You know, it's,
0: um, I'm trying to think about some – I was never afraid to offer my opinion, mm-hmm. but what always ticks me off is when uh, you hire people to do things, whether it's a pro scout or an amateur scout, mm-hmm. and then particularly back then because it wasn't the same – you know, te- you didn't see guys as much. Like You didn't see them. You yeah, just yeah, did yeah. not see them. There's, right, no, right. TV, no, there's TV, no TV yeah. games on TV or sure. there's no video and. What have you? So uh, I mean, I was really team operations guy, and it was as much about our American Hockey League guys and mm-hmm. trying to keep a gauge on that and offering opinions that way. So that would have been new market, um, huh? That would have been new market. It, yeah. Uh, first, it was in St. Catharines, and then oh, okay. after it was in new market. So yeah. um, I, you know, like I said, I, I I didn't have a I didn't have a problem offering mm-hmm. uh, my opinion about certain things, but you know, I, I left it to guys like. Floyd Smith or others that were scouting at the uh, pro or the the
1: amateur level that way by and large. So when McNamara gets fired, and then you did you think you were going for the GM job? Harold calls you? Were you expecting the call? How does the transition to you being general manager happen? Well, uh, I
0: become GM in 1988, so 1987. Okay. um, I, I get named uh, general manager of the New Market Saints. So okay. I'm assistant general manager and GM of the New Market Saints. And this is one. This is sort of. I do get that Jerry star is falling with Harold and mine is rising. Okay, okay. but okay. but I'm quite I'm quite content now being running the New Market team. It's just a great way. I just I signed a three year contract. I yep. thought, okay, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn. You know, bide my time and learn running New Market. And you know, we had a good we had a successful operation there. With some veterans and trying to develop young guys, and uh, then it, it was going off the rails in Toronto, and, <laughs> and Jerry got, got fired in February. Yeah, so we just kind of had Harold never made it clear really who was in charge, so we kind of just did. Uh, Dick Duff, who was the scout, who was okay. kind of one of his star guys at that point. Yeah, uh, John Brophy was the coach who Harold just loved, and myself, uh-huh. just to try to keep it together because it was it was pretty it was pretty stupid and unwieldy to try to. <laughs> really have no structure that way. Harold just thought, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. So we went three more once that way, and I always tell the story that the season ended, 1987-88 season, uh-huh. and we lost in six games to Detroit. And um, the, the one t- game, How did 2-0 lead, I think? Sweaters on the ice and pucks yeah. on the ice and all this stuff. It was just terrible. <laughs> and um, the season ended, and... Uh, and on the Monday after, or the day after, like you know, Harold came up and he talked. He talked to John Brophy and Brophy was saying, "You got to get rid of Borea Slomiank. You got to get rid of this." And <laughs> so I was kind of pissed off. And I just, you know, Ballard said, "Yeah, we got to make some changes here." And he, you know, said yeah, what yeah. Brophy said. And I, and I kind of said, "I thought, what the hell? I'm not. I gotta gotta kind of go for it here about." <laughs> and I just said, um, "Well, you know," and I started disagreeing. And he, and he kind of said, "Well, so so what? You don't? You're not agreeing with that kind of stuff?" And I yeah. said, "Well, do you want?" Do you want me to say what you want to, you want want me to tell you what you want to hear or do you want me to tell you what I really think? And he yeah. said, No, no, I want you to tell me what you really think. And um I uh which wasn't always the case, right? So Sure. I said, Okay, I'll put it down on paper. So over the next three days uh uh-huh. again going back to typing You're typing <laughs> three exactly. days I, I I did like this right. six sixteen page synopsis of everything. Oh
1: everything. no way. Oh wow.
0: So over the next three days then, every now and then he'd pop in and he'd had my thing, and he's going, So, this is what you think about the scouting, this is what you mm-hmm. think about this, whatever. And then on the Sunday, uh, yeah, a couple of days later, I read in the Toronto Star, Milt Donnell, who was his pipeline, had yeah. a column, a preeminent column here, that I was going to be the general manager. And sure enough, so I knew I was. And four days later, I officially was. That's the way it worked there. Wow, that was it. Um, Yeah, so I. Yeah, I you're, you know, you're, so, you're like so Jerry McGuire. Yeah, so when I do my shtick, sometimes now I'll, I'll talk about, you know, how people, you know, the, make a lot of fanfare and fuss about new guys being hired. And when I got hired, they, you know, they, they were it was kind of hurtful because they said Harold Ballard just looked around the office and the first flunky he found, oh. he named general manager and Gord Stellick was it. And I said, <laughs> you know, that's pretty hurtful. I said it'd be a lot
1: more hurtful if it wasn't true. So that's my <laughs> line. But anyway, um, so, yeah, you were like Jerry Maguire with your mission statement. <laughs> that was, well, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> intending to be. I was, I was hoping he'd bring a like a, a Bill Tory or a yeah, David yeah. Foyle, right? No, not not those guys specifically. Sure, but yeah, yeah, but somebody, could somebody.
0: Like um, and I could work under them.
1: Yeah, that's a crazy story. <laughs> um, and so. Yeah, then you're on the cover of Hockey News. I remember that, and and it was a you know a, a younger guy, progressive thinking guy because it was punk and punching and back in the day, and Harold yeah. of course, and all that. And there was a lot of hope, honestly, Gord. I remember as a fan, like the the media is portraying it like this guy is modern. we he's gonna he's gonna do a good job. Hopes were high for you. There's no doubt.
0: Well, and and and, and I really thought um, the first three months were great in until Harold had his last bout until he had his last uh, you know had to go to the hospital had quintuple okay. bypass surgery came out in a wheelchair was never the same and I like I I had I knew what he was about I connected with him really well for so long okay and I could read him and stuff and I it was too bad because I really felt we could get a lot of positive things done I thought we we're on the right track mm-hmm. for example I was going to ride Brophy out and then try to get If, you know, if it didn't work, which at some point, then my next guy in, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had a few guys in mind about that and what have you. And anyway, once that happened, then it just changed and and all of it became a soap opera and all the vultures were there. And and ultimately why I did leave a year later was just not being able to hire my own coach. Like something had to give. And I was the piece that gave. And. That's okay, as it all spelled out. I mean, that's really okay because I got there by unusual circumstances and I left by unusual circumstances. And, and then the reason and how I left made, again, that old point of difference made me different and allowed me to ultimately get a second career in, in the media world.
1: You, you said earlier in the, in the podcast that you liked John Brophy. but Very much. Um, I just, as a fan... I just thought he was crazy. I mean, obviously, we've seen the video footage and stuff. And and I've done some of these podcasts. I just did one with Eddie Olchuk, like I said. I talked to Al Secord a little while ago and and talked to him about Brophy. And he liked Brophy, too. But none of these guys ever said that he could coach. He was a nice guy. Oh no! I shouldn't be coaching in the NHL. No question about it. And that, and he, he could, and
0: he knew he was so fortunate that you know he would do anything to stay there. He would murder a guy if it came down to it. But but he, but, but but nobody else shared that sense, you know, like he had about, uh-huh. and, and and that was a tough thing. But away from the ice and that, just a real, you know, passionate, nice, smart guy. Funny guy. And there, 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 there were roles in hockey for him, mm-hmm. and not as a head coach, but he, he thought he lived and died. He couldn't have been, you know. And, and so he, and that was the problem. In his quest to succeed and to keep it and not fail, yep. uh, unfortunately that, that he would
1: just was incapable of re- relaying or coaching what it took to coach at that level. And, you, and there was, you, you guys got off to a good start also. I remember that. It was a, a decent start. And yeah, we were you know we yeah. were eight three and one yeah. in our first twelve games or whatever it was, and um, and then and you were like great I want to can this guy but now he's like, we're eight three and one <laughs> well but I, but I wanted to support the guy uh-huh. no
0: no I, I, if there was success with John Brophy that would have been great right right yeah. I just you know felt that stuff would happen and inevitably it <laughs> did and what I remember was then we lost I can't remember we like we lost a game to, I think to St Louis okay and then we lost to Boston. And then, and, and then we lost to Los Angeles. And I always say to Marty McSorley, like, you know, he was new with the Kings that year, and they, and they, and they knocked the shit out of Boris Somming and stuff, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, um, and then it went, and both now, who I had, you know, I, we drafted Ty Domi in the second round right. the previous June. Both wanted to keep him, but we sent him back to the minor, you know, mm-hmm. where he should be back in junior. And, um, and then, you know, he was obsessed about getting that tough guy. And so that's what got me about okay. I mean, we'd added Brian Curran. Yeah, you know, I was going to say. up Brad Marsh. We'd yeah. you know tried to get a little bit tougher in that. But um, so that ultimately, and, and meanwhile, because he wouldn't play Russ Cordell, and we'd had some success. I promised Russ, you know, just you know, I'll. I'll, I'll I, get I, you I out of here. I agree with you. You yep. should be playing, yep. and I'll, I'll try to find a place for you. So that that precipitated that trade, and. You know, and we we really got off to a great start without Russ Cardinal because he wasn't playing mm-hmm. under Brof. He was the he was the player both
1: despised. And um, yeah, if you think anyways, about yeah, if you think about the anti John Brophy player, a small, speedy guy doesn't doesn't have much physical presence. Russ Cardinal.
0: Well, and also <laughs> some attitudes. Okay, yeah, yeah. With the coach. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and you know, uh, and had been a favorite of Jerry McNamara was the old GM and all that stuff. So Brophy was old school that way. So that was the one move, and and you know, I I didn't throw the coach under yeah. you know under the bus right and thought okay and and also real and john you know john Kordak was a huge heavyweight he just was yeah all messed he up. was yeah he, he actually he actually served a bit of a role briefly but it's all you know it's all water Did, under the bridge and everything but it was the uh the one big misstep i made but um it
1: was based on good intentions in yeah. a lot of ways. Did, didn't you bring in some ankle or was that after you or before you? It was before me. Okay, because Semenko, in with yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Semenko comes in, and you're like, all right, guys, all right. And then Kordick comes in. Well, yeah, no, I and Semenko wasn't mine, but, I mean, we really killed the number 27. You have Frank Mihaljevic <laughs> and Gerald Fidler, and then you give it to Miroslav Inichuk, Dave Semenko, and John Kordick. Uh, okay, hey, besides, uh, it could have been... Um, who was Freacher's brother that came over that was supposed to be really good? Um, no, I know it was Miroslav Inacek, oh, Peter Inacek's brother, oh, Miro. Yeah, oh, yeah, Miro. That's right. So it was check yeah. Yeah, um, we gave him 27. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, man, those those days. And also, too, your luck as a general manager and, and everything else could have been different if Wendell, he was, he was barely playing. His back was jacked up. He, he didn't play a lot back then. I don't know. Whatever was oh, wrong no question. with question. I missed 65 games that
0: year, and, yeah. you know, Kenny Reggett got mononucleosis. Gary Lehman got hurt. I mean, there are, yeah, a lot of things, you know, and, and probably if I was older and more savvy to playing the game, I would have played the game of survival, right? Right, right. And, um, you know, I didn't say to my credit, I don't want to say that, but I, but I didn't, you know, and, and, uh, but yeah, I had a lot of, a lot of things, you know, I've ha- I've had way, way more good breaks that the average person gets or deserves. But certainly that
1: situation there, a lot of things went south health-wise and all those things. It wasn't a banner year that way. So stepping down from GM, um, I imagine, like you said, you tried to bring in a coach. Maybe, Maybe Harold was vetoing some trades or whatever. That had to have been a tough decision, though, because I mean, I guess you'd been around Maple Leaf Gardens long enough where you knew this was going, where this was going to end. Uh, Harold was going to um, probably disparage you in the media, and you know, strip all your power down, uh, which is what he seemed to do with a lot of guys in the media, and then eventually can you. So I guess you saw this coming, um, but that's still a tough decision. This is the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs.
0: Well, know? yeah, it is, but it, but it just the summer as the summer went on, and I, I got along well with George Armstrong, and mm-hmm. I protected him with a new contract, and. And I I brought him back in the fold, and then Ballard fell in love with him again, which he should have been in love with him in the first place for all sure. George Armstrong had done with the Leafs. But Harold was, you know, I get what 85, 86 is now. You know, my dad has been that age, you know, and okay. I was only 30, and so I get it. And and so it, it's just funny. Things had turned, and Harold was, George didn't want to coach. He did it as a favor as interim coach, but then Harold got in his mind and just kept, kept telling him, don't let this young whippersnapper tell you what not to do. And no. it was just, it was just getting dysfunctional for another year. And my leaving did force the issue that George told Harold he wouldn't coach and Harold fired him. But then George <laughs> had the contract I'd signed him to. Sure. So he came back and he's still a scout there like he should be. And they brought in Doug Carpenter. And yeah, it really, it, it, it was, um, but I, I knew if I had to get uh uh there were some other opportunities and I didn't pick a good one I picked a good one as far as being with the New York Rangers in New York. I didn't pick a pick a good one being with Neil Smith because it didn't work out with him and that's that's life. But um yeah, yeah it was uh it was uh uh, it was quite a roll. It was quite a roller coaster ride ah. as general manager. It's like I stepped on it the day I got hired, and 60 months later, I just felt like I've been riding that downhill part in the roller coaster. And you know, you just got a chance to take a breath. It all happened so fast.
1: Yeah, your book's really good. You chronicle a lot of this in your book. It's a few years old now, but I'm sure you can find it out there still and uh, and check it out. It's an interesting read, and, and you do get in a little bit more behind what you were thinking and how things were going. So let me ask you this, Harold Ballard long gone now. Um, w- you know, as a leaf fan, I think of him as destroying my team and as a crazy man and all of this. And, you know, he's not looked upon fondly um, for many, many reasons. You know, maybe one of the worst owners in the sports history, even I would maybe maybe say that, but you and a guy that fought with him. Hired, but you know, also worked beside him, and like, how do you remember Harold Ballard? Do you, was he a terrible man? I mean, what? Where well, you, if you where, first saw, it, like,
0: when you first met meet him, you're, you're you're generally would say, "Wow, what a nice guy!" It would surprise you, okay. And he would uh, he would be the opposite of most people who like the positive PR, um, but are jerks or you know, bleep holes behind the scene. He was kind of more the opposite. So that would surprise you how nice he could be, but he had to be the boss. He signed the checks. He was old school. He lucked into you know running the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was you know overextended initially, cash wise mm-hmm. with his you know, line of credit at the bank, like a lot of us are on a day to day basis, and sure. that's how he ran it. And the and the team suffered for it. There's no question. Yeah. So, you know that's that's uh, just the way it was. So yeah. It was going to be difficult to win with him owner and meddling. And it was funny. He seemed he seemed to meddle when you had success. When you didn't, he'd be supportive. It was it was strange. So that was that. But my my problem, Steve, is not problem, but yeah. your issue is yeah, yeah. um the ownership results haven't been much better without them. They're slicker <laughs> you know. They wear suits and everything. You but got the point. results on the ice haven't been much better. When they had their good runs in ninety three and ninety four it was still Steve Stavro and those guys on, on running Harold's estate. Yeah, because Stavro, you know,
1: Stavro the, got it from Harold, right?
0: Yeah. 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 A bit of a power play that way. But yeah. then when he uh, he uh he tried to put, he tried to screw the estate and he had to come up with twenty three million, you know, to, to pay the charities there that he wasn't expecting to, then he had the cash shorts and that's why they had to get rid of Doug Gilmore and Anderchuk and yeah. things like that. So it's been that's why when I'm talking about ownership,
1: there's always been this track record yeah, yeah. of something something dysfunctional there by and large. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It, yeah. It's interesting. And so, where were you when you heard he passed and all that? And what were you thinking? And did you I go was to in New fun- York? Okay. And uh, actually, of all places,
0: I was I was either in, I think it was in Flint. Our, our A- IHL okay. team was Flint, and uh, I came back uh, for the uh, funeral. You did, and, okay. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, I, and it bothered me that the circus that was on then that, that pissed me off. You'll, you know, just about Yolanda and all that. Well, everybody, yeah, everybody, yeah. everybody. You know, Yolanda was his companion at the end. Whatever you want to say about her, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but yeah, it, the sideshow and the sideshow had detracted from the hockey team. But that's what I had. Uh, I thought I think successfully landscaped for a while, and then you know, as a, just working in the front office, and then. Becoming GM, and then shortly, when after when he got sick again for that last time, yeah. the sideshow just got worse and worse, and it just it just didn't
1: it just didn't benefit anybody. Everybody trying to get their hooks in a guy maybe not mentally as sharp as he could have been, and it's an old story, yeah. right? It's an old story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, were the stories true about him um, uh, jacking up soda prices and turning the heat up? See, it's funny. He liked those stories. Yep. But he liked
0: those stories, but. Uh, there. <laughs> no, to answer your question, no. Okay. Because you got it, but I mean, the the one goes about when the like he used to book the um acts when they came to town. Sure. So when the Beatles first came to Toronto in nineteen sixty four, whatever the year was, mm-hmm. uh, it is true that Harold Ballard, without getting the Beatles' permission, booked a second show. No. So, <laughs> so that is true. That is true. But, yeah. but then they said, like he did. Then during the show, that um. What do you do? He said that he turned the water fountains off. Yeah, and then that he, what the heck did he do? Yeah. But yeah, first of all, first of all, there were no water fountains there. Nobody drank water. No one drank water out of a fountain. That uh, okay. You know, so you bought drinks or something. I, I yeah, and there, you know, the, stuff like that. There was no air conditioning for starters. So you know, okay. I know they talked yeah, about yeah. the heat being up or whatever. Yeah. So no, yeah. those aren't true. He, he, he liked that. He he liked <laughs> that kind of stuff. He he was big on just spell my name right.
1: No problem. Yeah, it's uh it's it's one of those things, man. Uh definitely. Hey, um how was it with having Neil at, at Sportsnet those years? When you I mean it was a long time ago, but Yeah,
0: you know what? It uh, it would have been pretty strained a while ago, but you kinda come right. full circle. Sure. I'm not happy the way it all played out in New York personally. But I you missed what the... a great experience to work with Roger Nielsen again for a second time and yeah. guys like Larry Plow and you know, Donnie Waddell ran our team in Flint and uh, yeah, Dave McNabb was there, and so that part yeah. was all good. But, but it's life, you know. It, yeah, it yeah. was, uh, uh, and, and probably if I was if I was a little bit older, if I was a little bit mature, I probably would have. If I'd had the proper development, I probably would have been <laughs> capable of handling it a bit more in a corporate
1: way, right? But uh, yeah, it it is what it is. You were at New York and going, oh, this is this is not how we ran things in Toronto. I, a lot of things about it that in New York, I mean,
0: I, I like, that's what attracted me to an organization being different and more professional than mm-hmm. some of the things in Toronto. But so, you know, it was a corporate environment which was new to me and I never had worked in before. And just with, uh, with Neil, he was a friend and he'd, um, talked me into coming to new york mm-hmm. uh, there were some other situations i might have been able to go to so it just yeah it just didn't work out but i got to work with guys like roger nielsen again yeah and larry plow and don waddell and you know all these other guys so so that that part that part was good but you know it is what it is and we come full circle and uh and uh it, now i know the corporate environment a little bit more and <laughs> you get a little older and you you play the game but he he was wearing more corporate jewelry than me at the time <laughs> yeah. so uh i pay, i paid the price
1: what was uh what was something about maple leaf gardens that people didn't know i mean you knew the place inside and out and uh what was something maybe people didn't know about it that you thought was really cool or unique or what you did or, or was there anything like that you know at at, at the gardens
0: you know, it's just I got to to pull up there every day, and that's where you work. You yeah, know? it was yeah. just phenomenal. And then you know, you know, just uh um, there were so many great people there, and, and it, it it gets tarnished by you know all the stuff that went on about the uh, yeah um, the, uh, the the the, the, ushers the pedophile yeah, yeah, pedophile you know, situation, yeah. which you know I think was a real life lesson for all of us about everybody about uh, yeah. um, how it works and why they go to gravitate to areas like that. There just were so many great people like it. It just, and, and like I said, Harold Bowden mm-hmm. literally his his front door was right beside my office. He lived there 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. So uh, I don't think too many places have an owner boss that lives there. And uh, I, I just, you know, love to hear Springsteen do a sound check at 12 noon some, right. when he was, did his concert. Like you get to happen upon those. It just was, you know, small and intimate. Everybody loved to come there. And uh, I always only kid. My only one was when the circus was in town every year for about a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> one year they decided that the elephant dung would be drug deposited on my parking spot adjacent to the building. <laughs> so I don't know if it was a editorial <laughs> comment, but every metaphor. day it got bigger and
1: bigger and bigger. So <laughs> it's a metaphor. I, I was out of my parking spot for a week. Put it that way. What uh, what a phenomenal time as a Maple Leaf fan, you know? Uh, for myself, just yeah, all these geeky dorky questions. But I mean, I just. You know, it's one of those times I think, you know, I think you sound like a guy that thinks he was lucky, you know, it, it didn't go well, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like you think you're still lucky after all of that, all of that craziness, um, pressure, everything else, resigning, you still consider yourself lucky. And I think that's really cool. Well, well, I appreciate that. Like I said, I didn't, you know, get to the team didn't
0: get to the promised land. Hopefully they get to it. You know, sometime won't be 2016, but in (laughs) the not too distant future. But, uh, um, it's it's been a neat – it was a, a really neat ride, and I, I've always – and being able to do on the media side, and, and that has been – right. I feel fortunate about that, whether it's talking to you or the other things they do. It's, uh, it's, um, fun to, it's,
1: it's it's fun to do something that you still find fun. I appreciate you putting up with my Ken Linsman-like tenacity in trying to get this podcast done. Um, yeah, no sweat, Steve. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Gord Stellick on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you, Gord. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.